0: You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us, coming at you from the great metropolis known as the Twin Cities region here in Minnesota. So glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. This is episode 250. I'm going to do something a little bit unique, and that is I'm going to give you the short version of the previous episode. This is not the first time I'm doing this. I I did this once before. I did this in episode 248, where I gave the short version of the previous episode before that episode. So, I'm going to do it again. Um, The reason I'm doing this, as I said back in episode 248, the reason I'm doing this is because I know that there are a lot of you that want the content but may not necessarily have the time to go through the longer version. So, I'm going to give you the sort of the Cliff Notes version or the punchier version here in this episode. However, I want to challenge you and encourage you at some point, go back and listen to the longer version. Uh, I, I just want to challenge you to not be lazy, but go back and listen to the previous episode at some point at your convenience when you have time to do so. Because I I, I covered a lot of information and I unpacked a lot of concepts. I gave a lot of illustrations, albeit some that are somewhat silly and, and and overly elementary, but I try to do my best to explain a lot of concepts and unpack a lot of theories in a way that would be really helpful to you. And I really think that a lot of the information that I covered in the previous episode, episode 249, would be really helpful though. So don't just use this episode, but at some point go back and listen to 249. But here in this episode 250, I'm going to take all the content from 249 and I'm going to sort of truncate it. We're going to just shorten it. And again, I'm going to give you the sort of the Cliff Notes version here. Okay, let's dive in and try to give you the best Cliff Notes version of 249. In episode two hundred and forty-nine, I I, I tackle the question: Should Christians believe in evolution? And there's no doubt this is a a hot topic. It's contentious. It comes up in a lot of debates, particularly when people are having conversations with unbelievers. You know, sharing the gospel or having evangelistic conversations. Th- these sorts of conversations come up. Should Christians believe in evolution? Well, as I said in episode two forty-nine, I'll say this: The answer is it depends on what type of evolution you're talking about there are various different types of evolution i mean the word evolution just literally refers to the fact that things change over time things evolve there are variances you know from from time period to time period that's all it is things evolve. And, and that's actually true in a lot of different areas of life, in a lot of different genres of society. Things evolve. In the world of science, there are also many different types of evolution. Now, when we're talking about the origin of species and the age of the earth and age of the universe and you know the, the origin of humanity and things related to those sorts of topics, we're generally referring to two different types of evolution. So whenever people ask me, do you believe in evolution? I'll say, well, it depends on what type of evolution you're talking about. There are two specific types that people are typically referring to, and I think it's important to bring a difference or to acknowledge the differences and distinction between them. The first type of evolution people are commonly referring to is microevolution, and that's the idea that there are small changes within types of animals or types of living creatures. And the example I used back in episode 249 was, let's say you have a dog-like creature that lived thousands and thousands of years ago. Well, that dog eventually will evolve to a variance of different types of dog-like creatures. So we have different types of wolves and we have coyotes and we have different types of dogs today and different breeds of dogs, right? Everything from the chihuahua to the poodle. All of those Current contemporary dog-like creatures all have a common ancestor, a dog-like creature that lived thousands of years ago. And at this point, that dog-like creature may have, may be extinct, may have died off, right? That, that is microevolution. the same as for bears, right? We have many different types of bears today. But all the types of bears that live on planet Earth today, they all came from one common ancestor, a bear-like creature that lived thousands of years ago. And over the course of time, things have evolved, and every generation of bears have changed, and have and there are variances leading to the different species of bears there are today. But this type of evolution always stays within a type of animal, that the same genetic family or the same kind of animal as the Bible would teach us, right? Microevolution is science. It is true. It is factual. It has been observed. It has been uh, been well-documented. We know this is to be true. So when people ask me, do you believe in evolution? I say, well, I certainly believe in microevolution, that within kinds of animals, animals, you know, from generation to generation, the kinds of animals may vary and lead to different species or new species Over time, and I explained this in episode 249 much more in length. I unpacked it extensively in episode 249. I gave a a lot of sort of examples in that episode. But in essence, I say, yes, I do believe in microevolution. However, I do not believe in macroevolution, and that is the theory that that there are that there's a larger evolution at play that there's so much little uh, you know changes so much microevolution that eventually these different kinds of animals these different creatures that are within the same genetic family eventually will evolve so much they become a completely different type of animal altogether eventually over the course of time. And that this is sort of how some people explain where humans came from. They say that, that, you know, three or four million years ago, there was only one type of of Cre- creature on planet earth it was a small single-celled organism that eventually there was so much microevolution within its own kind that it eventually a bunch of different kinds appeared and that eventually there was so much microevolution that macroevolution takes place this large amount of evolution and that eventually from a single cell organism comes all the different types and all the different species of animals that we see on planet earth today that all animals and all creatures including humans all go back and all evolved from this one single-cell organism. But I absolutely reject macroevolution, primarily because there's a lack of evidence for it. There is lots of evidence for what we would call microevolution, that is adaptations and changes within kinds of animals. But there is just very little evidence for the Darwinian model that is being asserted in many scientific communities today. There are some scientists that would like you to believe that there's lots of evidence uh, for this. And then there are uh, lots of scientists that maybe are more honest about this. However, they basically typically respond with something like, you give us enough time, we're eventually going to find evidence for this model. So what now what you have is, you have a chunk of the scientific community that are teaching this theory of macroevolution as the origin for where humans came from and teaching it as if it is fact when it's not. Or they're teaching this theory as if it is based on trends that have been observed and well documented. When the fact is, it's never been observed, it's never been proven, it's never been documented. And you have some scientists that are basing their entire worldview on the presumption that eventually scientists will find evidence for this. They're they're treating this as if it's a foregone conclusion. Eventually, we're going to find evidence for this. And I say that is a massive, massive assumption. There is zero evidence whatsoever that macroevolution has ever taken place. That one animal within its own kind has evolved so much that there's been so much microevolution that it eventually it jumps and becomes a completely different animal altogether. It's never happened. There's no evidence for it ever happening. Not from the world of taxonomy, biology, paleontology, archaeology, nothing. There's zero evidence for this whatsoever. In addition to this, there's a huge flaw to this perspective. This position assumes that new genetic information is being added as animals evolve and adapt. Right. The, the, the bear-like creature that is the ancestor to all of the bear-like creatures today had all of the genetic information and genetic material to become any type of bear that exists on planet Earth today. The problem is, in order for any bear-like creature to eventually evolve to the point where it becomes a completely different type of animal or a different kind of animal altogether, you need to introduce new genetic information. Right? If it's a single-celled organism that is simple, it needs to become a complex human being. You need to add lots and lots and lots, lots of genetic information and genetic material. Well, where is this coming from? Where does this genetic material come from this entire worldview this entire explanation is predicated and based on the idea that genetic material is spontaneously and randomly adding itself to the current existing genetic code that the genetic material of a certain you know uh, ancestor added information to it and again there is zero plausible scientific explanation for how this might happen and you come up with, you have scientists of all sorts of ex- excuses and explanations for this, but at the end of the day, there's, it's just not plausible. And again, I explained this in way, way more detail in episode 249. That's why at some point you got to go back and listen to that. I gave a lot of sort of the explanations and justifications and excuses that often come up. I use some illustrations and examples to sort of explain that. But the bottom line is I reject macroevolution because there's no scientific evidence for it whatsoever. Most scientists, most biologists, most people that are embracing this are, are are embracing a theory with a lack of evidence. And the people who are secular, people who don't believe in God, who are embracing this, they're embracing a view of naturalism. And that is, they, they are assuming that you must be able to explain Everything in the known world with a natural explanation—they're demanding that you explain it naturally. But the reality is, the only way to explain creation is supernatural. The the, the naturalistic view the, or the secular view of macroevolution as an explanation for how humans arrive to where we are today. And how all the different species we have today—that explanation, the Darwinian approach, or that is sort of the approach that Charles Darwin took, and obviously many since him—that approach is predicated upon the demand that you cannot explain things in a supernatural way. You're not allowed to do that, in essence. Now, there is there is a segment of people, a lot of progressive Christians, uh, and, and some Roman Catholics and others, that are that are asserting or promoting this ideology of theistic evolution. And that is that, yes, we believe in evolution and that all the creatures on planet Earth, including humans, all evolved from a single cell organism over the course of three or four million years, um, but that God was guiding it, that God was shepherding the process along the way to ensure that we got the result that God wanted. And I explained in in detail back in episode 249 why I think this is logically incoherent and inconsistent. But I'll say this, the idea of theistic evolution is still predicated on macroevolution, which has no evidence. But people say, well, where there's gaps, it may have been that God then, you know, shepherded it along and God was going to intervene and, and kind of closed the gaps. And I would say, well, do you have any evidence for that? Is there any reason that would lead you to believe that? Is there anything that causes you to believe that? Is there any philosophical or logical argument that would cause you to believe that? And more importantly, is there any scripture that would cause you to believe that? Is there any rational theological argument that would cause you to believe that? And I would say the answer is no. There's nothing in the scripture that would lead me to want to believe that. There's no philosophical or logical argument that is sufficient that would cause me to want to believe that. In fact, all I think theistic evolution is, it's a nice way to appease people. You've got certain Christians saying, well, there's there's these people who believe in evolution and we want to appease them. We want to reconcile Christianity with what they're saying. And therefore, we want to, we want to embrace theistic evolution. God did it. God used evolution. But quite frankly, there's no scientific evidence that would lead you to believe that. There's no rational, philosophical, or logical arguments that seem to point to that. And there's certainly no scripture that seems to point to that. It's not compatible with the scripture. So I think it's a flaw to go down that road. I, I think it's incoherent. And I think while the intentions might be, you know, noble to some extent, I think it's I think it's a flawed way. Of approaching the science of understanding the origins of species. And even more so, it's a flawed way to try to interpret what the scriptures say about creation. We also embrace the fact that God created everything. God created the universe and the earth and all the creatures on this planet. And God did it for his purposes and for his glory. Whatever ideology we embrace, ought to be the ideology that promotes God as the creator. And we ought to remember that God created humans uniquely from all the other animals. Humans are created in God's image. We ought to reject any ideology that makes humans out to be just another animal. And most certainly, we ought to reject any ideology, any theology, or any philosophy that does not acknowledge God's sovereignty over all of creation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Sure hope it was helpful and insightful. Hope you appreciate the truncated cliff notes version of the previous episode. But again, I'd like to encourage you at some point, go back, listen to episode 249. I believe that'll be very helpful to you as you grapple through these sorts of topics. If you have any questions or topics that you want me to address on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. Or if you know someone that you think would be a great interview guest, I'd love to hear from you as well. Shoot me an email. The address is Ortiz at com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or find me on Twitter at Kenneth Ortiz. It's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.